evening all. Good to see you all here tonight. Uh, my name is uh, David Bowler. I'm a, a lay preacher here. Yeah, so, uh, so glad that uh, so many of you decided to come out on such a cold night. Have you ever actually had to make a, a really uh, big life decision on the spot though? I remember I had to do that uh, not long after uh, I joined the Air Force. I'd been really keen to join the Air Force uh, and uh, initially I hadn't got in and finally I, I did get accepted. So uh, come the, uh, the day to be, uh, join up, um, we, I grew up in Canberra so uh, we took the train up to, to Sydney uh, along with a few other guys from Canberra and then all the other guys from New South Wales all went to the uh, recruiting office, signed our life away for 11 years and then they put us on a plane uh, down to Melbourne. Uh, where the uh, Engineer Cadet Squadron um, had their base that we, uh, I was going to be uh, studying at. Got there, got settled in, and I got, got given my room, and then the commanding officer calls me up uh, to his office. Oh, I don't know what this is about. And he calls me in, and he says, you're not supposed to be here. You're meant to be over in Perth. Oh, okay. Uh, and so he said, well, seeing as you're here now, I'll give you a choice. You can stay here, or you can go over to Perth. So on the spot, I had to decide where I'm going to spend the next four years of my life. I'm going to go west, young man, or stay here in Melbourne. I thought, oh, I like, I like Perth, a nice place, but you know, Melbourne's got shitty weather, but yeah, Perth's a long way away, and uh, in the end I decided, I, I, the guys I'd met, you know, were good mates, so I just sort of got on well with them, so I thought, yeah, and no, I'll stay in Melbourne. So that was my decision. Um, there wasn't any sort of spiritualness about it, you know, the factor, I mean, I wasn't a Christian back then, um, and it didn't really affect anyone whether I went one way or the other. It wasn't depriving anyone of a, of a place or anything. Um, yeah, so um, that, that was my decision then. But we're going to uh, look at a, a few guys who made some decisions um, shortly and uh, some of them perhaps had a little bit bigger implications than, than the choice I just made. Before we get into it, though, I just thought I might just do a little bit of a word association. Um, so I'm just going to throw couple of names at you and just just tell me what you, your first sort of thought that comes into your mind or first words. So first of all, Abraham. Isaac, okay. Anything else? Promises, yeah. Blessing, Blessing yep. Yeah. Old, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we know, know a bit about Abraham. Okay, another name, Lot. Salt, salt. <laughs> okay, salt. Anything else? Sodom, yep. Yep, okay, so I think, you know, we know quite a lot, a lot about Abraham, you know, he, he, he was known for being faithful, you know, and we did the Sunday school, you know, Father Abraham had, no, I won't go that way. Um, <laughs> but, um, you, you know, for Abraham we know quite a bit about Lot, you know, hasn't got such a big profile, but, you know, I think maybe we can actually relate a bit more to, to Lot, because, you know, perhaps Abraham is sort of up there, he's sort of one of those big, great ones, was... Uh, Lot, you know, is a bit more like us, a bit more of an ordinary guy, perhaps. So, uh, before we get into the the, uh, the passage today, um, we'll just have a little get a little bit of context, the background. So, Abram, who would uh, become Abraham, was living in Haram, which is what uh, is now sort of modern day Eastern Turkey, when God called him, "Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will call you." So Abraham went as the Lord told him and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Now given Abram had been told to leave his country, his people and his household 
I'm not sure Lot was meant to tag along. I mean, Lot, I mean his uh, father had died, so um, yeah, he, uh, he didn't have a father, but he, you know, he was a grown man. It wasn't like he was a you know, little orphan kid that you know, Uncle Abe had to look after. We don't know why Lot went along. Maybe he saw the material benefits of being tagging along with his well-off uncle, or maybe he was just taking a step of faith too. So they travelled as far as Shechem in Canaan to where the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So this is the first time God has promised this land to Abram. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. He didn't stay there. After spending some time in the area, he moved on to Negev and later, due to a famine, went to live in the land of Egypt. So while living in the land of Egypt, he threw his wife Sarah under the bus and said, uh, got her to be his uh, sister, so Pharaoh ended up taking her into his harem. And after living for a time in Egypt, Pharaoh discovers this and boots him out, which brings us to where we have today's passage from Genesis 13. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. So while we may not have any livestock or much silver or gold, living in the modern world, most of us are pretty wealthy by uh, world standards. From the Negev, he went on to, from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and A, where his tent had been earlier and where he'd first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. So he's returned to familiar territory. He's been there before. He calls on the Lord. He, he's not really trusted the Lord in Egypt. He's worshipping the Lord and he's, uh, he's restored uh, his relationship with God. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great they were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. And the Canaanites and Pezrezites were also living in the land at that time. You know, blessings are great, but they can sometimes come with their own problem. I mean, even today, families grow. You have more kids, you run out of bedrooms, they've got to share, you've got to put that line down the middle so you can divide who's and who's. You know, there are fights. 4,000 years ago, nature, human nature was the same. It doesn't change. You know, you put too many people in the one space and you inevitably end up with some conflict. So Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarrelling between you and me or between your herders and mine. For we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. I mean, Abram's in charge. He's the elder, the patriarch. He could have chosen for himself. It would have been with his rights, you know. It was a way of the world back then and it still is. You know, the person in authority makes the rules. How would it be if Actually, Abram had actually said, let's part company, you go to the left and I'll go to the right. If Abram had made the decision to take the fertile land, would that have stopped the arguments? Chances are lots of people would have been feeling pretty discontented and grumbled about having the raw deal. Abram, instead of doing what was expected, what normal nature would have expected, puts others first. He's a peacemaker. And last week, Barry talked about servant leadership. Here's an example where Abram puts Lot first. I mean, have you ever seen uh, you know, a case where 
you know, siblings are trying to divide up a little bit of cake, you know. And uh, you know, the wise parent says, all right, to one, you can cut the cake and you can choose which piece you get. The one cutting the cake, you notice how they go to great lengths to make sure it's exactly 50% that the other one doesn't get any more than they did. Abram says, let's cut the cake. And like, you can cut the cake and you can choose which piece you want. So, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of Jordan towards Zor was well watered, like the garden of, Zor, uh, of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So how did Lot make his choice? You say, gee, Uncle Abe, you've been so good to me all these years. You've made me wealthy, given me all this money, all these, these um, animals and everything. And So you, know, you go first. You choose which bit you want. No. He put himself first. Not only ignoring, Abel, not only ignoring Abram, but also ignoring God. You know, often, you know, if we're making big decisions, there may not always be an obvious spiritual decision to make. I mean, when I decided whether to go to Melbourne or go to Perth or stay in Melbourne, there wasn't really a spiritual dimension to it. But God still likes us to involve him in his decisions. He's our father. He cares about us. But in this case, there clearly was a spiritual dimension. Lot knew that the people in the land were wicked. There might have been a reason why Abram didn't hang around in the area the first time. Maybe he didn't like the neighbours. Lot chose to put himself in a situation where he knew he was exposing himself to bad influence. But his focus was on making a good living, advancing his material adva- advantages. And ultimately, the consequence would be disastrous. I think we probably all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, the moral decay in Sodom and Gomorrah was so great and their sinfulness so grievous that God had no choice but to destroy the cities. In spite of his failings, we know from 2 Peter, Lot was actually still considered a righteous man. He was just distressed by the depraved conduct and the lawlessness found in those cities. But this is not stopping him from embedding himself in the culture and reaping its material benefits. Fortunately for Lot, Abram intervened and pleaded with God for the city to be spared if there could be found any righteous people there. So, Lot sent, so the Lord sent two angels to save Lot. And Lot and his doors were saved, but not without cost as the rest of their household and all their possessions were destroyed. He survived, but that only just. Notice how it all started subtly. I mean, it's not a bad thing in itself to look out for your family and for a better life, providing it's consistent with God's will. But he chose the whole... uh, He chose, while he chose the whole plain of Jordan, where did he pitch his tent? Near Sodom. He obviously saw some attraction being near the city, even though he's well aware the people of Sodom were wicked and sinning grievously against the Lord. So in the next chapters, we read Lot is actually living in Sodom and then he's married presumably to a Sodomite woman and by the time the city is due to be destroyed, he's in an official position in the city, fully immersed in the life of the city. So when the angels warn him of immediate destruction, he hesitated to leave. He wants to still hang on. Genesis 19, we've got 
With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. For the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Do not look back. Do not stop anywhere on the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. So while distressed by the lawless deeds and the things he saw and heard, he still wanted to cling on to those material benefits. Indeed, Lot's wife couldn't resist the temptation and turned back and was turned into the pillar of salt. The situation Lot found himself in didn't come about overnight. It was rather a gradual cultural shift over time, becoming immersed and desensitised to the wickedness and the immorality and accepting the culture around him. So Lot disregarded the principles that run all the way through the scripture when Jesus, which Jesus expressed in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the promise that goes with that is that all these other material things will be added. We were to seek first God and his righteousness. Lot did exactly the opposite, placing material things first. His first priority was to find a place where he could make a good living, advance his family and material advantages. It raises the question, what do we seek first? Material possessions, security, relationships, romance, experiences, status, sporting achievement. I mean, they're not bad in themselves, but what priority do we give them in our lives? What or who do we set aside to gain these things? What do they come packaged with? What do we expose ourselves to? Often our initial commitment might not be that great. They can be on the periphery of our lives. But slowly and subtly over time, we find ourselves living with them in the centre of our lives, giving them our energy, our resources. They can start defining us. They can become our gods. Yet there's one God I've not mentioned that may seem insignificant compared to those I've mentioned. It so permeates our modern culture, it's become an idol that consumes our hearts and our minds. We turn to it for fulfilment. For many, it demands more of our time than all the others combined. It's a God of entertainment. Again, there's nothing wrong with the idea of entertainment in itself. It's good to have ways of relaxing, both physically and mentally. When you consider in 2019, the average Australian spends four and a half hours a day viewing uh, uh, video or streaming video or using on, uh, social media, and that's not including other online activities such as online gaming, that's over a quarter of the typical time, waking hours we have. And you take away work and uh, study, it's over half of our free time is spent uh, watching online or doing online activities for entertainment. But it's not the amount of time we spend amusing ourselves that is a big issue. Like Lot, it's where we pitch our tent. I mean, there's a lot of wholesome content out there that can be healthy a healthy way to relax, sometimes even educational, uplifting. Problem is, the more time we're being entertained, the harder it is to be satisfied. We might start pitching our tent in a wholesome territory, 
But if you spend too much time being entertained, it will no longer satisfy. Just like a drug addict, we need a stronger hit. We gradually push the boundaries of the values we're willing to accept. And the entertainers and the media companies, they know that they've got to keep pushing the boundaries to keep us satisfied. Whether it is the, the language or the level of violence or the morals, the willing to watch or simulate in online gaming, gradually shift from the tent outside the city to living inside them and that ultimately become, totally becomes part of our culture and, so def- and defines us. What's more, we don't even realise it's happening. Have you ever watched Bondi Rescue? Maybe squeezing that four and a half hours you have each day watching screens? A common scenario is there'll be a group of swimmers doing the right thing, having fun, swimming between the flags, but there'll be a current and they'll gradually drift to the side. If you've been in the ocean, you know what I'm talking about. And after a while, they'll land outside the flags, heading towards a dangerous rip. But because the current is taking them all together, they're blissfully unaware of it. They're quite content in what they're doing. The reference point is each other. It's kind of like our culture today. It's only when they look up at the reference point on land they realise they've drifted. And even then, they assume because all the other swimmers are okay and around them, it, it must be all right. It's only when the lifeguard calls out the danger that they take action. And even then, some choose to ignore the lifeguard. We're just having fun. Feels good. No one's getting hurt. Next thing you know, they're caught in the rip and calling for the lifesaver. How do we know if we're drifting into danger in our spiritual lives? I mean, if our spiritual lives are in jeopardy, ultimately our whole being is in mortal danger. We need to look up to the reference point. If what is in here is different to the values you're accepting from the screens, then there's clearly a problem. You've drifted outside the flags and you're in danger of being caught in the rip. And you're not alone. Everyone around you is accepting the same culture and the values of society. And even when the, prophet, the prophets call out danger, many choose to ignore the message or the lesson from Sodom and Gomorrah that God will not tolerate sin forever. Not because he's vengeful, well, not because he's a vengeful God, but because he's a loving God. And he opposes injustice and wants what's best for us. So are there areas in your lives where maybe you've drifted outside the flags, where there's a God in your life that has pushed the true God out? Maybe you've succumbed to sin or maybe you're just surrounded by it. God is always ready for us to change, to turn back to him. But don't hesitate like Lot. Don't look back like his wife. You need to make the decision to turn back to God and make it now. Remember, he's a loving God. He doesn't want to punish. He wants to bless. Going back to the passage, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land you see I'll give you, you and your offspring, forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go and walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. God made promises to Abraham, in spite of his faith in unfaithfulness in Egypt, 
And when he turned back to God, God renewed the promise and the blessing. God has made promises to us, including the promise of eternal life, if we believe in Jesus. But just as although Lot was righteous, by focusing on his own desires instead of God's will, he allowed himself to be incorporated into an immoral, godless culture. And although he was saved, he ended up losing all his blessings. Don't fall into the same trap. Even though we, are all sa- can, we can be saved, if we take the focus off God, we can, if, sorry, if we take our focus off God, we can be changed and not even know it and end up entering eternal life like Lot as only one escaping through the flames. Let us pray. Lord, we just uh, pray that we can uh, just keep our focus on you. Lord, we're sorry for any time that we've uh, drifted out of the flags, taken our focus off you. Help us to, to if, when we do that, to change, to put our focus on you, to, to come straight back to you, Lord, to, to not hold on to the culture or the, the idols that keep us away from you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's stand for our last song.